Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host of the Catholic Foodie. So happy to be with you today on this beautiful Friday in October. I can't believe it. This is uh, my favorite time of the year. You know, October, there's just a lot about it. I don't know if it's the change in seasons. I think that has something to do with it. Uh, I love those little orange things. You know, these little orange things, you can get them at the grocery, you can get them out at the park. I hear they even grow out in a field, these little orange round things. I think they're called pumpkins. You can eat them, you can color them, you can uh, carve them. I mean, just so many things you could do with, with these pumpkins. And I do have pumpkin recipes, by the way, over at catholicfoodie.com. But that's just one aspect of October that I love. Down here in South Louisiana, it doesn't get too cold. Matter of fact, we were talking the other day, we had this cool front that came through and had the temperatures in the 70s. And someone said, yeah, those were a glorious three days. And I said, yeah, it's going to come around again in about three months, right? So January, it may start getting cold again down here. But still, October, there's just something about the feel. I love it. And today we're going to talk about October and about um things associated with maybe some of the traditional ideas about October, like maybe Halloween, maybe spooky stories, some scary stuff. We have guests joining us today. So excited about this. We have Jessica Griffith and we have Jonathan Ryan. These two, these, these two teammates here, these two companions have uh, put together something called Sick Pilgrim. And first of all, you two, welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show here. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us. <laughs> it is uh, my pleasure. Uh, I, um, you know, I, I just, we were connecting on Facebook. Uh, Jonathan, I, I've, uh, I read your, your, uh, your books, your horror stories, you know, which were, which so awesome. And I know we've chit chatted about that online, but oh, thanks. for, for those of y'all you, you who can find uh, them, <laughs> Find them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, where, where, okay, I know. I know they're on Amazon. No, well, we, we I, <laughs> no, always had a comment on on the blog about uh, where you could find the books, and it wasn't very kind. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, oh, yeah. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Yeah, uh, it was hateful it. towards women in my books. This is or, a know, family show, so I don't. Think that's, right, can that's right. That's right. We got to keep it all kind of you know correct. copacetic, copacetic. Uh, well, first of all, just yes. I want to say welcome and, and ask y'all to start out. Let's just in this first first segment here on the show, let's just talk about Sick Pilgrim because when you think about when you hear that at first, right, it's kind of like what? <laughs> so, what is Sick Pilgrim? <laughs> first, what is it, and and how did it come about? Well, I'll tell you a literal meaning behind Sick Pilgrim came from a game I used to play with my four year old daughter. She was obsessed with pilgrims and with the story of the Mayflower. And um, she used to make me play this game with her where she'd get in the bathtub and I would make the waters really rough and she would pretend to be sick and throw up over the side of the tub. So anyway, <laughs> game to play with you. Which describes our blog so well. <laughs> oh, That's she, what we're about. She always wanted to play this game, Sick Pilgrim. She learned everything she could about the pilgrims on the Mayflower. Um, asked me to draw this little figure for her of a sick pilgrim. And since I am, you know, an okay writer, but not a visual artist. My sick pilgrim was a little stick man with X's for eyes and a pilgrim hat. Um, and she just loved it. And this was just 
something we did for years. And eventually I started thinking of Sikh Pogrom as this uh, neat metaphor for my spiritual life, um, being on a path, you know, hoping that path is leading me to God, but feeling like I'm always getting diverted and getting lost and hoping to make friends for the journey, but really not feeling like I had a home spiritually because I'm a Louisiana exile <laughs> and um, born and raised in Louisiana, but I haven't lived there now for, so um, I've always felt, since I left, I felt really homeless. So I just thought it was an apt metaphor for me. And then that kind of became, well, one day I'd love to have my own publishing venture of spiritual writing, and wouldn't that be a great name? Um, and he had this yeah. great idea that we might start a blog together and talk about all the things that frustrate us about Catholic publishing or being Catholic or our spiritual journeys in a really honest way that we really weren't seeing reflected in um, the books that we were reading at the time or the blogs that we were reading. So that's kind of how it came about. I think, and it, you know, the other aspect of that too is we both have felt homeless in our life. I'm a former uh, Presbyterian minister. Um, and it's sort of this idea is that we, since we both had this feeling and we both had the same interests and in things we were talking about, we're like, let's just put all this together and like have a conversation with each other in public. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's really kind of how the idea came about. Let's, let's have the conversations we've been having in private. Let's just put them out in public and see who listens in. We, did, we didn't, we were like, yeah, maybe 50 people listen when it's all said and done. And that's five. Like, you know, that, was, that was my mind. It was like, I don't know. So I haven't always dreams really big. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, in our first post, we said, we're throwing up a soapbox and we hope some interesting people turn up. And we really thought, you know, a handful, whatever. And it would be fine. It would just be us talking to each other. But the response was kind of overwhelming. And it's just, it just taken on a life of its own. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's true. I mean, you have uh, definitely resonated. This, this whole concept has definitely resonated with people. And, and I wonder if it, I mean, it, it's something about that honesty, you know, that, that uh, bringing to light things that, you know, sometimes you don't bring up in polite company, right? You kind of keep things uh, quiet and, you know, you're supposed to be a certain way and, you know, you just offer it up and move on. And, and yet a lot of times, even very, very good people who are trying to do good things, right. Live, live a good life, um, are in a lot of pain and, and they can't really vocalize that. They can't verbalize it because it's, I guess in a way that the atmosphere itself, it almost seems like it would be scandalous to do so. And yet, you know, what Jonathan said about us both being homeless, being kind of the first level of that metaphor a lot of us feel homeless in our parishes because of that reason. We feel like it's not okay to really be honest about where we are spiritually in that kind of community. Mm-hmm. And so providing a community for people to have, you know, fellow travelers to walk the spiritual path with them where they can be completely honest about their doubts and their struggles and whatever trauma or horror they're going through in their lives um, without judgment and to have spiritual support in that way. That's another reason that the sick pilgrim mascot and name um, seems so fitting. I, you know, I think of this too, there's just, there's a lot of hand wringing going on as to why young people are leaving the church, why are people taking off from the church? And it's not so much, and there's so many false things like put out there, like, Oh, if we change our liturgy, if we change this, if we like have coffee night 
you know, all this other stuff. That stuff doesn't matter at all. The, the stuff that matters is what, is what Jess and I have been talking about. The walls need to be sort of like, here's the wall, here's the wall. And Jess and I are going, what wall? <laughs> right. I recognize the wall. Yeah. 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 Like some people break down the walls Some people put up the walls. We're like, what walls? They shouldn't exist. So um, I, I think that's, you know, if we, if we were ever cornered, that would be something consciously maybe we would say. Well, the aesthetic of the blog is very New Orleans. It's very much, um, Jonathan, I think New Orleans is his spiritual home, even though he's never lived there, he belongs there. And for me- I've been there for three weeks, three weeks. I've, I've lived there almost three three weeks. glorious right? weeks, right? Three yeah, glorious so, weeks. Three yeah. best weeks of life. Yes. <laughs> I do love it there, that's for sure. That, what Jeff, you know, articulates so well all the time on his show and his blog. Um, this mixture of deep folk um, that really, you know, New Orleans is such a Catholic culture and I took it for granted my whole life because I didn't know the rest of the world wasn't like that mm -hmm. until I left and it was devastating and it's part of why it's been so difficult for me to assimilate in the North um, because where I'm living doesn't have that kind of Catholic culture. I live in the remote hinterlands of northern Michigan, um, <laughs> angling off into the Great Lakes. And um, it's just not the same. And I'm missing that sense of magic and mystery and enchantment that is just a part of the fabric of your life in Louisiana as a Catholic. Um, and, um, has inspired the blog and mm -hmm. its look and its attitude and its content. And Jonathan just comes by that naturally, but I come by it as a native of Southern Louisiana. Mm. Well, it's funny too. Like it, 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 that's totally true. And, and on the other hand, I'm, I'm right in the smack dab middle of Catholic Disneyland. And it's, 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 it's um, at the university of Notre Dame where they, right. you know? it, and you know, on one hand, I love it because it's this weird contrast of American Catholicism. And, it, um, you know, the, on the one hand, how Catholics have completely tried to fit into this white Protestant culture. Yes, it's very. Um, but on the other hand, Catholicism. Yeah, whereas New Orleans right. is very but, European medieval right. Catholicism. Yeah. It is right, mm -hmm. exactly. And but you go into the cathedral, and there, you know, first a whole wall of first-class relics. So it's like this. <laughs> it's like you can't quite get away from. You know, we have God, Country, and Notre Dame, but then we've got relics like right there, including Saint Severa, a child martyr. So yeah, it's my favorite. Uh, with right creepy now. wax, yeah. So I, I think, you know, I think that, I mean, that brings to another part of the aspect of the blog is we want to bring Catholic weird back. That's, that's sort of our, both of our mm -hmm. mutual obsession in some ways, like bring back this Catholic weirdness that we've, that we kind of got away from. Um, yeah. Right, the distinctiveness that, of Catholicism that yeah. has been sort of reached out, I think, over the years of assimilating into American culture. And it's very, it's yeah, very earthy. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's very earthy, very tangible. Mm -hmm. Some of the things you think about when you think about Catholicism, like the candles and the rosaries, the sacramentals, uh, the statues, uh, there's just so much that's there. And, you know, in New Orleans, you're right. I mean, it is, it's, it's very European in, in the way, that, in the feel. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes people talk about cultural Catholicism, and I'm sure this is something we can kind of uh, broach a little bit after the break, but, um, you know, cultural Catholicism, sometimes people are saying, well, that's a bad thing, you know, and it, in a lot of ways, yeah. in a lot of ways, you, you could say, well, maybe, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe, yeah, but, but there's a lot of good 
about it too. And we are uh, in New Orleans, definitely steeped in uh, the Catholic roots and, and Catholic history here. Uh, you, you are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. We do have to take a break, but don't go away. You don't want to miss this. Got spooky things coming your way, weird things, and uh, you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host of the Catholic Foodie. So, so, so excited to be with you today in this uh, beautiful Friday. It's a Friday in October, not Friday the 13th. It is not Friday the 13th yet, uh, but we are in October and I love this month. We are talking today with uh, Jessica and Jonathan of Sick Pilgrim, uh, which is a blog uh, but it's also more, and we're going to talk a little bit more in this segment and the next uh, next segments of the show about the more uh, that it is. But I wanted to say, you know, last segment we we're talking about uh, bringing like Catholic weird back, right? We we talked about, you know, why we have we kind of are dumbfounded sometimes as to why uh, people are leaving the church, kids are leaving the church, or or whatever. Uh, and yet, it, it's like in America at least we have this. Um, I don't know. It's almost as if we're trying to be more. Not, you know, Protestant than, than, than Catholic sometimes. And I had a great conversation uh, last night. I, I had a, the privilege of interviewing a chef in New Orleans, young chef, a pastry chef, um, just a, a delight to, to talk with her about the craft and the, the art and the, even the science, right, of baking, of, of pastries, of desserts and all of that. But in the interim, we had conversation, like especially during the breaks, about the fact that, you know, here, here she is on the talking to the Catholic foodie and, and she talks about the fact that she made it from New Jersey to New Orleans because of a, a, a trip that she took with a, a church uh, group, a youth group at one point to do service work. I think it was after Katrina. And, uh, and she just fell in love with the mystique of New Orleans, and that's what brought her down here. And so we had conversations during the break. It was a little bit here and there uh, where she was telling me about, she's like, oh, have you heard of this church? It's the St. Rock. I can't remember now, and I should have looked it up. I didn't even think I was going to tell the story, though, until just now. Uh, it's the St. Rock something church. I can't remember. But she, she was talking about how this church, which is not a Catholic church, it's, we call it it's St. Rock, but that's just because of the cultural Catholicism in, in New Orleans. It's, it's um, in, a, in an area that is a very old area of New Orleans called the Bywater, and it's been revitalized since Katrina. It's been, it's amazing, the restaurants, everything that's down there. But this church is at like a key location, and they basically have destroyed the walls, figuratively speaking. Uh, the, 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 the church and the actual culture there have meshed in a way that I think that, you know, some of us would be envious of. It's just amazing that there's not much of a segregation between life there in that part of the city and that church. And it's not because everybody is going to Wednesday night Bible study and everything else. It's because that church is in the community. Those people are there. They're present. And, and that's how the gospel is being lived out. It's a, I'm fascinated. I didn't get all the details about it last night, but I'm looking forward to it. But it reminded me, what y'all were saying last segment reminded me of that conversation last night. And that's kind of what we're talking about, huh? With Catholic weird of kind of bringing that back, of bringing back um, something that is distinctly Catholic. And I think this month in October, you two are trying to do that over at uh, Sick Pilgrim at the, at the blog, huh? What, what, what's you got going on? Well, I think um, that was another thing I think that brought Jess and I together is the love of scary stories and ghost stories and things like that. And I, you know, I think we both recognize that there's a, 
there's a tradition of the Catholic weird tale. And, um, and so I think we, you know, part of the thing that we're doing on the blog, there's a bunch of other stuff that we're, we're doing, but, uh, we're just bringing back some ghost stories, some just simple ghost stories that we found, some old ones we found an old collect, Jess has got an old collection of them that she's going to type out. Um, I'm going to type out a ghost story from Robert Hugh Benson, who was a English priest at the turn of the century. He wrote, um, Lord of the world. And, and, and honestly, it, for me personally, it comes from my own writing, um, always being interested in real ghost stories and that sort of thing. And that's what my two books are. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I came back into the church. Um, so I think for both of us, it, 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 there's certainly a fun aspect to it because it's, you know, it's, a it's ghost stories and everybody loves those. But for us, um, and obviously just can tell her story, but for me, the supernatural aspects of the church, the idea that the very thin, um, the seen and the unseen, that's one of the reasons I became a Catholic. I mean, it's definitely one of the significant reasons I became a Catholic, as a matter of fact. Yes, the all that is seen and unseen is one of our, um, one of our taglines, and obviously from the creed, but we really believe in these tales of the supernatural. I mean, whether you believe in ghosts or... I mean, yeah, it's fun. It's October. It's spooky. But highlighting the idea that there is an unseen world in action all around us all the time. Um, and what spooky, what spooky tales do and fantasy does, fantasy literature, is that it enables us to imagine that and to conceive of it. And I think in some ways, catechism and very good preparation for the religious imagination to receive the truths of the church. And I think growing up in New Orleans air that I breathed um sure um it's a haunted culture it Mm, just is um that's something that I felt lacking after I left the region is this um sort of almost being tangible to you Mm. down there was kind of gone and I feel like that is one of the reasons I went back to the church because that that mystery that um there being something greater, something more, just out of sight was something I couldn't come into contact anywhere, literature mm. and in the Catholic mass. Yeah. So I think that those two things are, um, are coming together on the blog, this idea of the artist being a creator of, um, of unseen truth and that meshes with belief in Catholicism. Mm. And I think, I think we're both always amazed too. Like what, you know, a lot of our audience is, is either what we call uh, on the edge Catholics or Catholic curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we were at the festival, we were at the festival of faith and writing. And I, I gave a talk um, weird fiction and sacramental practice. And Jess had a lot of the same things that she did in her two talks as well. This is and a we festival fast. yeah, held at a at Calvin college. So mm-hmm. um, not very yeah, many Catholics speaking there or attending so um yeah very few so yeah anyway continue Jonathan. <laughs> she's she's my editor even on the radio <laughs> I'm not you, even as you speak. Just in case you don't know <laughs> the, the way we work on sick program is I'll, I'll if we're writing a joint post i will write write the first draft and then just goes through and edit edits it. That's, that's kind of hard. <laughs> that's that's way beautiful. Right? That's great. Um, but, that's great. but, but we were fascinated and amazed, like how responsive people were um, to, to, to all the stuff we were talking about. Like, you know, they're like, 
we had, we had people come up to us saying, I want to be a Catholic. We're like, well, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a Calvinist. Or they'd be like, can, I want to like talk to you. Can you come over here? And then they'd whisper to me like, okay. Right. So exactly. one time, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm Catholic attracted. And um, I don't really know where to go. And I was just like, oh, you poor thing. But also we People are trying to steal our stuff, man. You know, the, the Protestants are, are, are catching on. But magic is cool and mystery right. is cool and liturgy is 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 good training for the brain to um how to commune with the divine. So and to get you out of that, you know, regular space that you're in every day and get you in another frame of mind. And a lot of the panels there were about this, were about the um the beauty of liturgy and traditional faith practice. And Jonathan and I were just looking at each other like, wait a second, this is our thing. Like, where's the, and and so it was really inspirational to us to, you know, let's own it. Let's own what makes us distinctive. We have, we have the fullness in our church. And I think, you know, if we can provide a way to kind of be a backdoor or a window in for people who don't feel comfortable just rolling up into a parish because mm. it can be really intimidating. And I think we're doing that. And I think that's one of the things that really inspired us to keep going um, is that we see it again and again. People write us and say, I went back to mass today for the first time or um, thinking about going through our CIA or because of things that they've read on our blog and because they finally feel accompanied and understood in a way that they might not have if they just gone to mass on a Sunday. So we see it as a gateway drug, not a substitute. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we get it. We get, we get asked that question all the time. Like U S Catholic asked me to do an article about, um, about whether sick pilgrim was my, my taking the place of my parish. And I, and I, did, I was like, I can't write that. I was like, because I don't want it. Like, right. yeah. you know, sick pilgrim is my tribe. They're not my parish. Right. You know, I'm, I'm on the parish council right. with, you know, people who could be my grandparents to people just out of college. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's boring and it's whatever, but it's real life. And it's, yeah, it's actual people I have to actually engage with who I might not have anything in common with at all. And that's, that's what parish life is. It's not, it's not glamorous. No, no. <laughs> it's, it can be grueling. <laughs> just as in the choir. So. Yeah, that's choir. right. I read about that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that Jess is a choir lady. It's the best. <laughs> you know, it's we funny. Do, we want to inspire people to go back to their parishes and be, um, and bring, you know, participate in, in reviving and bringing vibrancy in and bring, you know, bringing their weird or right. having to be around people who aren't like you. It's spiritually instructive and valuable and having to serve and having to, um, and, and be served. It's beautiful, but I think that it's intimidating, especially if you feel that you have kind of, um, you have something that you don't want to expose in a parish. You feel like you might be rejected. You know, you suffer from depression or uh, you've been through addiction or you're divorced or, you know, uh, we see, we see lots of different kinds of people coming to the blog and feeling like I, you know, I finally feel accompanied here, but I'm not ready to talk about these things in my parish because they have either misconceptions about how they'll be treated or they have been treated badly. Right. Right. And you know that you bring up a great point because the, the, uh, we, we talk about the mystery, right? The Catholic weird is, it's really kind of like that mystery of Catholicism, that mystery of creation, the sacramentality of creation, 
But at the same time, the dishes have to be washed. The, the floor has to be mopped. You know, we have to take a break. I mean, all these things that are just so, um, you know, important and just daily life stuff. But we do have to take a break. So this is uh, the Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. You guys don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I am Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So uh, excited to be with you today on this beautiful day in October. We were talking about uh, Catholic weird. We're talking about the mystery, really, of Catholicism, but also the fact that um, even though you know that this is kind of like a draw for us, right? I mean, we we have this thing that's kind of uniquely Catholic. The 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 fact that we have sacraments. You know, the 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 faith is a, a very sacramental in nature, meaning that. Uh, God communicates himself to us, divine grace to us through things that are very tangible, you know, like water, bread, wine, right? Oil, all these things are very important. Then we have sacramentals, which are kind of like, I mean, they're, 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 um, they are a tangible way that we can participate in the grace of God, if that makes sense. So uh, a, a beautiful thing and, and one that can certainly draw our hearts and our minds to God, to the mystery of God. But as, as I said at the, at the end of the last segment, you know, the dishes still need to be washed. Uh, the floor still needs to be mopped. Um, you, you may be sitting on parish council with someone you don't really like. You know those kind of things, or or working at, you know at, at your office with someone that you can't stand. Those things are very very real, and 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 it's not. Uh, how do I say this? How do I put it? It's almost like the things are not diametrically opposed. They all kind of come together, right? This is life. Life is kind of one, and and yes, we need that uh, that that push, I guess, or that pull really of the mystery of God. And I think my challenge personally has been to take that mystery and, and bring it into the daily life. I'll give you an example. You know, I spent two years in Mexico with uh, Mother Teresa's priests. So way back when, I was 18, I think, when I left home to go to Mexico. But about a year year or so into that, uh, there was a, like a virus that we caught in the community. Now, we, we were talking about a seminary that had 50 guys from 12 different nations. And at one point, we had my whole wing of where we were uh, we were all sick. And I mean, I mean, sick, you know, <laughs> bad. And uh, what we were doing, six of us at least over there, we were all reading uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And when we finished a book, we would, we would share them, we would swap them around. And we kept talking about the fact that, you know, just how, how, how Narnia is here. You know, that was the thing that kept we kept talking about it. like this, this is, we are in Narnia. This is Narnia. You know, it's not like this world way over there somewhere that we wish we could be a part of. It's like, no, no, no. It calls to us in a way, the mystery that, that C.S. Lewis uh, depicts here in this story kind of calls us out of ourselves into our own lives, right? Does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. <laughs> no, it absolutely does. It just I mean, blew my mind. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I think uh, I think I, that was amazing. I'm gonna need a moment to compose myself. <laughs> well, I think Lewis brings. I think I think the whole inkling crowd was 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 pushing for that idea. Um, I'm I happen to be a huge fan of Charles Williams. Um, the weird inkling, of course, um, and his his all his novels are exactly like that. This this idea of um, C.S. Lewis 
Lewis called his, his, his novels, you know, what happens if the everyday gets invaded by the marvelous. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, if you had to sum up the inklings, I think that's sort of what they, although Tolkien was a little more about the history side of things, but I think he had that same sort of feel uh, with them. That's sort of what brought them all together, I think. Um, so I think the idea of the scene and the unseen running together, Narnia being here, I love that idea. That's great. It's fantastic. And that's true. I mean, that's the thing that we, you know, the everyday is marvelous. So that is the church. That I mean, being able to see your life and on, on that scale with those proportions, you know, that's what we want to reveal about the Catholic faith. We're writing on Sikh Pogrom. I think a lot of people think that we aren't actually Catholic or that we're dissenting somehow or we're trying to start some new religion cult. And we're really not. We're really just like regular faithful Catholics who go to Mass every Sunday and, you know, are on parish council and stuff. But we see, you know, this great tradition of, of Catholic literature and um, commitment to the arts and fostering of the arts um, that the marvelous was revealed. And we don't really see that in our parish life so much anymore. I think maybe in, um, you see a lot of um, mystery and ritual and pomp and circumstance, but um, the, it's kind of not like that. So what we're missing in church, we're trying to access through our writing so often. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think for a lot of people, they feel that they're intrigued and drawn to Catholicism, the books that they read. And because um, there is this great tradition of artistic output, but then they go to their average parish and they're like, wait a second. This does not line up right, yeah. with what I just read. Like, where's the Lord of the Rings? Like, where are the hobbits? Where are the elves? Where's Gandalf? You know, and, um, so, is there even? In, and I have to be reminded of this all the time because I'm a total smells and bells, um, liturgy, high mass kind of you know Gregorian chant kind of girl. I want all of that. Um, in the beauty and Jesus is still there in the lamest mm-hmm. <laughs> Novus Ordo Marty Hagen mass that you go to. It's still there, but it, it's preparing the imagination to receive that truth is important. And that's one of our, that's one of our priorities on the blog. Yeah. My, my, my priest actually just got a new priest and he started singing the mass. I was so excited. Like on Sunday, mm-hmm. that was his First Sunday there, he's like, I think he's 35, 36, oh, wow. and he yeah. started singing the Mass. See, the younger like, priests yes, are doing this. Yes. Our young priest yep. is also yes. singing the Mass, and um, our new young nice. priest. And on our last choir practice, they broke out a Latin hymn, and I swear I almost just laid down on the floor and cried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> on eagle's wings. And I am so happy. So I, you know, I think we're coming around again, kind of coming back to what we tried to get away from. And God knows I understand why we needed to throw open the windows. And, um, and I understand why a lot of the older generation are hesitant to go back Mm. to the way things were, but we threw the baby out with the bathwater. I really believe that. And, um, trying to restore some of that. 
And, and part yes. of that restoration, though, is a new uh, endeavor that y'all are uh, working on right now. Um, and you just announced it, I think, this past week, huh? This week, it was Monday, wasn't it? Yes. On Monday. Yeah. Monday, so yeah. What, what's going on? Yeah. Tell me all about it. Well, it's um, it's the Trying to Speak God Conference. It's um, It started uh, on a discussion on Jess's wall with Kaya Oaks. Um, her and Jess were kind of lamenting back and forth why and, and this happened after the festival of faith of writing conference we mentioned we were like why can't catholics do this and so they were going back and forth uh and a friend of ours who's the chairman of our conference uh ken garcia uh is at notre dame and he, he jumped in and i said ken we're we're at notre dame let's let's you and i chat about all this and so we had lunch and and uh so he's i was like so what do you think about what jess and kaya was saying he goes well yeah we could do that here i'm like i'm like really because we really like to do that he goes yeah, I have money. I'm like, great. <laughs> I was like, cause I mean, let's be honest. That's what it takes to put on. Oh, yeah, something like absolutely. This. Um, let's be, just, just be real and honest. Um, so it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, just, just came down, Sam Roca, who's the editor, at, uh, path main editor at Pathios came down and we all just had this conspiracy in the library and, and kind of hammered it out on a, on a Sunday and said, Hey, let's do this. And, um, you know, getting Mary Carr was huge. Um, you know, getting Heather King was huge. And Tim Powers is, is a new face, interestingly enough, to the Catholic writer world. But he's a, he's a very committed Catholic. But he's been out in the sci-fi fantasy world for mm-hmm. so long that he's right. highly respected. Right. He started his own genre, basically, wow. in steampunk. Um, so, you know, he's he's kind of a legend in that world. And so this I think this is his first time at any Catholic conference. Mm-hmm. And to me, the highlight was going to be where after he talks, we're going to have him and Brother Guy, the head of the Vatican Observatory, talking about sci-fi and wow. fantasy literature at, as the way to end the conference. So it's like, I'm sorry, Jess, Jess is tired of hearing me geek out about this. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, I never get like, tired of you geeking. And it's on my birthday. Too. Oh, I, wow. I mean, what a birthday. You know? <laughs> this is Jonathan's birthday party at Notre Dame. Yeah, One of the reasons we, we wanted to do this conference is um, there's been a lot of opining about the loss of Catholic culture and the loss of Catholic literary culture. Um, and we hear all the time, like, where are the Flannery O'Connors and the Walker Percy's? Um, why aren't Catholics public intellectual figures anymore? Why, why don't people read? Why doesn't the public read Catholic literature? And um, because we are immersed in a world where we see really talented writers working really hard and producing great work. But um, the market is such that there really isn't a place for them to right. go mm-hmm. to publish that work. Um, there are a lot of academic conferences out there that address um, the Catholic imagination and the tradition, the great tradition of Catholic work and um, work, but not a festival type mm-hmm. of atmosphere right. that right. celebrates what's happening now, that brings writers and visual artists and musicians together, both to celebrate what they're doing and to inspire them to do more and better. And that's what we want to do at Notre Dame next June. And Mary Carr's our keynote, which I'm going to totally geek out about. <laughs> New York Times bestselling Mary Carr, who is a Catholic convert. Oh, wow. Um, so, so having her come and be our keynote, you know, a very a secular figure, 
who converted and she has a really beautiful conversion story. Um, mm-hmm. Having her come and have, and, and just having a celebratory atmosphere instead of an academic, strictly yeah. academic one where and, we are acknowledging yeah, the living culture that we still have. And yeah, we have a, you know, we kind of have a fight in front of us, but That's right. we need to take a quick break real quick, real quick uh, break, but we'll come back and we'll talk more about that. You're listening to the Catholic foodie show here on Breadbox media. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So happy to be with you today. It's, you know, I mean, it's like 87 degrees outside. It's just a beautiful fall day here in, in South Louisiana. I'm just kidding. Because, you know, in some places, unfortunately, in some places, they really are having some weather issues. And here comes, here in my, oh my goodness, here she is. Here's my baby. Zelly is just coming right now and they just got home and she came running into the studio like hey look it's dada you know so that's uh she can't you can't see her because you're listening to the radio so unfortunately but you can see pictures on instagram and facebook and twitter and all that good stuff you can still feel her joy oh man i tell you what that 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 is that gives me you know that that joy of life is having having her here. Um, so we were talking a little bit during the break, and we mentioned this earlier in the show too. This whole concept of the um, the with the now I'm going to forget what it is, the servant artist. I was about to say starving mm-hmm. artist, probably because I haven't had dinner yet. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, close. Yeah. The servant it's artist and that whole concept. Uh, what 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 does that mean, servant artist? Um, I, I actually, Jez and I were just talking about this before we came on, um, as to what, what this looks like, what we, what we think it should mean. I, I just finished this this evening, um, St. John Paul's, uh, letter to artists and he, and he talks about, you know, the servants, you know, the, the artist's job is to serve the church. Um, and I, it was a, it was a great concept uh, as I was thinking about it. And I, I kept messaging Jess. I was like, look at this, look at this. And I'm like, wait, you probably have seen all of this, <laughs> you know, because as, as a revert, you know, like I'm coming to this stuff all new, which is a lot of fun, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I think the, the urban artist is the idea that I, I think too often, um, and this is one of the things that, that Jess and I often take issue with, with a lot of Catholic artists because I think they feel like their art is the only thing that they should serve. Like, somehow the art should govern everything that they do uh, instead of saying, well, you know, like how many times do you hear someone say, well, I'm a writer who happens to be a Catholic. I'm like, well, okay, that's true. But that still implies that, um, y- you know, that you're, the art is in control and, and it should be. Um, and it's, and I think what we're trying to do is, especially with this conference is to kind of start this conversation of what a servant artist should look like. How, how can, people with artistic gifts, not just writers, but, you know, uh, painters, filmmakers, um, musicians, what do, you know, we're not just an out in the church, you know, St. John Paul says we are a vital part of the renewal of the church. Um, and, and no one's really picked up on that. I mean, this, I think this was released in 98, 99. Um, and no one's, no one's really kind of picked up on that idea very much. And it, and it's surprising to me, unless there's something I don't know about, but I, I think, well, I think it's that, something um, we definitely want to pick, pick up. Know, it's not for everybody. It's not, you know, there's. I don't strictly read religious books or devotional books or theological books. Um, 
take issue with the idea that it's embarrassing to describe yourself as a Catholic writer or a Catholic artist. Um, for me, my Catholicism informs everything that I write. And I'm not saying that I'm holy by any stretch of the imagination. I am not, but <laughs> I am Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I'm deeply interested in the church and spirituality and it's what I do. So there's a place for that too. Unfortunately, it doesn't pay very well. But it is a vocation. And I feel like for those artists who feel called to be servants of the church, to, you know, to sort of reveal these beauties and these mysteries mm -hmm. to readers, but to also create art of the highest quality and not just some pale imitation of yes. secular art or whatever um, publishing and marketing is saying is hot right now. Um, but to be true both to your art and to the beauty and truth of Catholicism, I feel like we need a center for those people. We need a hub. We need a community. We need to inspire each other and encourage each other. Um, we need to teach each other. We need catechism. We need faith formation. Um, we need all of those things. And, and that's, that's all going into this conference. That's why I feel like it's going to be such a different gathering um, than just a, an academic interpretation of, you know, where Catholic art has been or, um, other conferences I've seen this outright rejection of Catholicism and being labeled as a Catholic artist so that's not helpful to me because I do write devotional books for a living <laughs> that's you know and I believe that there's a place for that and I believe that those can be artistic and beautiful and literary um, they are often not however and so how do we work within um, a genre that has been so disparaged and has such a bad reputation amongst, you know, the artistic elite? All of these are questions that we're wrestling with on the blog and in the conference. And, and to even take it to even take it further, I mean, we, we Jess and I have talked a lot about how, you know, everyone's lamenting, why don't we have a new Tolkien or a Flannery O'Connor or all these people? It's because these any Evelyn Waugh and Graham Greene, all these people went to mass. They took it seriously. They took their faith seriously. So that produced good art, mm -hmm. um, not crappy art. And not that they were to, good to and holy sitting people. Graham Greene was by all rights, a horrible right. man, but, um, and a terrible sinner, right. <laughs> an amazing yeah. novelist. I mean, Graham right. Greene is my favorite. Yes. I would not want to be married right. to him. An amazing writer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> honestly yeah. struggled Catholicism was the struggle of his life and I feel like so it's not that you have to be this holy figure it's exactly. that that taking your faith seriously and that's not I'm gonna die on kind of thing yeah. um I feel like often you feel like that's the that's the choice well if I'm gonna be a Catholic writer then I have to be this devout pious ninny yeah. <laughs> and right. I can't write the truth Right. Just blow that up. Like, no, you can write the I can't truth. believe you used the word ninny. <laughs> take it. I love how she worked that in there. <laughs> but it's true. It's like I'm it's sorry. almost we have this this uh, this idea that we have to be cookie cutter, right? I mean, even mm -hmm. even this is yes. what a Catholic looks like, and and this is what a you know, it, and it's um, 
mm-hmm. to do that just robs you really of what of the reality of the human experience. I mean, that's being human. I mean, God made us. <laughs> I mean, this, He knows yeah. us through and through, you know. And, and some of the yeah. greatest saints in, in in the church were not nice people. You know, Saint Jerome had 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 a temper. Right. You know, I mean, there's a, a lot of uh, That's totally true. Yeah. And, and that was Saint one of Francis the things, even Saint Francis. And I remember being yeah. in the seminary and and reading the lives of the saints, reading these stories, and I used to get mad. I actually uh, talked to my spiritual director at one point about this. I like, I am angry because I can never ever ever the the life I come from, I can never ever 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 be close to these saints the way their stories mm-hmm. were written. Because it did yeah. not tell mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. It made it, it was, it, they were on a pedestal. It was very rosy mm-hmm. and flowery and they were perfect. And it didn't really convey the reality, the nitty gritty, the, the, mm-hmm. hey, you know, their feet stink. You know what I mean? It's like they, they, they're just, they're human. Um, they're sick pilgrims. They're sick pilgrims. <laughs> right. And then I just <laughs> absolutely Rock, love that. St. Rock gets his, uh, gets his sores <laughs> licked by dogs. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, that kind of reality. St. Rock. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I think, I think too, like we, and I, again, you know, Jess and I are all about saying what walls. And I, I think, I think we're both tired of, uh, you know, like Jess said, she, you know, she writes devotionals. I wrote, write parent supernatural thrillers. Like we, we don't, uh, I don't think one of us want to recognize anymore these, the walls that we put up, whether it's literary fiction or this, that, and the other. I mean, it's, it's all art. It's just a matter of what kind of art, um, is it good? Like, and it can be good defined as good within its particular genre. Um, you know, I think sometimes we compare artwork, um, that really shouldn't be com- comparable. I mean, you can't compare YA fiction with, uh, Graham Greene or Flannery O'Connor, but right. you can compare it to other wife YA fiction or whether it's any good or not. Right. Um, because it's just, it's an un, it's an unfair comparison to the people who write YA because they're not trying to be Flannery O'Connor or or Walker Percy. They're trying to do something different. YA means young, young adult. adult, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. You were, you were you slipped into jargon there. You know, <laughs> speaking code. You know, I'm just, I'm just here to help, Jonathan. Here to help. <laughs> Can you well, tell me? Can, can't you tell we've been doing this together for a long time already? This is great. Like, this is yeah. great. It's great. Well, look, y'all, we only yeah. have a couple more minutes left of the show. Uh, can How can people find out more about what you're doing, especially like the conference and and, uh, and, and all that good stuff? You can go to our blog. I'm really happy to report that if you type Sick Pilgrim into Google, we will be your first hit. Um, (laughs) So you can find us there. We're at patheos.com on the Catholic channel um, until the church figures that out, I guess, and picks us (laughs) up. University of Notre Dame, there is a conference website for trying to say God. Um, which is the title of our conference featuring Mary Carr and Tim Powers. So um, you can look for us at both those places. And Jonathan and I both have author websites of our own. Awesome. And, awesome. and then the, 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 the follow-up and also, conference. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I know also we have a Facebook um, event mm-hmm. for trying to speak God. Um, if, if you type trying to speak page. God on their Facebook. Awesome. The, yeah. the event will come up. So you can, yeah. Yeah. Um, and by Jess's book, Love and Salt, it's a great book. I'm going to just plug her book for her. Oh, yeah, I'm also yeah, a, a writer. Book. 
Yay! <laughs> and letters. So she doesn't forget. <laughs> no, I don't forget. But our Facebook page has become a really lively community of um, all different kinds of Catholics, non-Catholics, um, and I, I, I welcome everyone to come find us there and join the conversation because it's really a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. And I will certainly have links in the show notes to all these things that we talked about, which is uh, so cool. The links will be found over at catholicfoodie.com. It has been a pleasure speaking with you two tonight, uh, today. Uh, what, what a joy it has been. Yeah. And uh, I will, um, well, we're going to have to do this again. In, in New Orleans, right? Yeah. Oh, please, uh, let's you, do it again. Oh, this please. is the Catholic Foodie Show, and until next time, bon appetit. <laughs>